will, would you stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord, if you're able? If you're not, that's okay, but if you can stand, would you stand with me? And I'm going to be reading verses 28 through 30, the very end of the, of the chapter. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Father, we pray this morning, I pray this morning, that in everything that's done, that you would get glory for yourself, that your word would be proclaimed as it ought to be, and that Christ would be magnified. We pray for your will to be done, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, what's on my mind today, has been on my mind for some time, is are we resting in Christ? I will tell you this, and this is where my notes go, uh, go haywire. This actually was a part of the very end of my sermon, but I'm going to give it to you right now. So maybe we'll be done in three minutes. I have found myself, when I went to Bowlegs, People ask me, how are things going? They asked me to come preach. I preached way too long. I preached an hour and 20 minutes the first time. I told myself, and this is what scares me today, I said, I've got to keep this thing 40 minutes or less. So I went twice as long as I was supposed to. But they called me back. They just said, just keep coming. And after a while, it just I wasn't trying to do anything. I wasn't trying to be their pastor. I wasn't trying to open doors. I didn't put a resume in. I didn't do anything. I told people, I said, it's just like I'm in a, in a, in a, in a raft, and I'm just floating downstream, and everything is peaceful and calm. I'm just preaching the word of God. And lo and behold, God placed me there as the pastor of the church. But I found myself in recent months praying a lot. And this is what my prayer sounded like. Lord, I cannot figure this out. Lord, I can't figure that out. I had that figured out thing a lot in my message or in my prayer, and it was like one day the Lord told me, he said, I didn't tell you to figure anything out. And I found that I was trying to figure things out. Things weren't, no, it didn't feel like things were going smooth anymore. I'm looking around. I'm, I'm trying to get thoughts. I'm trying to get opinions and all these things. And I realized something. I'm not resting in the Lord. I'm not resting in Him. Today, we're going to be talking about this rest. And, and, and I know that this comes to, this isn't a, a passage to pastors, but this is a pastor's conference. And you as pastors, I, I, you're going to be kind of the target group, but everybody is included. Last night, Brother Wade mentioned the Barna group. Amazingly, yesterday morning, I actually looked up the Barna group. I never do that, but he said, I know you've all seen that, and I thought I could raise my hand. They had these groups listed, the ones that are wanting to quit the ministries, there's those that don't. The top two, in the one, the, the top two reasons of why a person wants to quit ministry is this. It's an immense stress of the job. An immense stress of the job, being overwhelmed in the ministry of the work. 
Have you felt that any time lately? Have you felt that ever in your, in, your, in, your, in your pastoral call? Secondly was this, loneliness and isolation. People have asked me, how are things going during this time? And I said, I feel really alone. I feel kind of isolated. I had friends around me. I had all these things. One of the reasons you love coming to this conference is because there's pastors you finally have somebody you can sit down and you can talk to and they can understand what you're talking about. And they can relate and they can tell you the same thing and then we can just kind of have our special Lonely Hearts Club, right? Well, we're going to look at this passage today. He starts with this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. It is, it is the invitation. I believe that this is a call to salvation. Why do I think that? Because he's talking about all those who labor and are heavy laden. And he says, and I will give you rest. See, th- this call comes out. And, but listen, it's, this all here, is, it to, is, 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 is this call going to everyone? No, he gives a classification. He, he says it's to those who labor, those who have wearied themselves, you got to remember, he's, there's a lot of Pharisees. There's a lot of Jews here. The Jews were religious people. And these Pharisees and these scribes would put burdens on them that were so heavy that they could not, they couldn't keep up. No, no matter how hard they tried, they dropped in a heap and they'd come over and dump more burden on them. You see, you can be poor and this can apply to you or you can be rich and then it can apply to you. You can be rich and you may think you have everything. You can be poor. I've talked to people on the streets, homeless people, going out evangelizing them. They had no need for this. You see, this call goes out to those who gave up. But Jesus is saying, personally, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Now, this rest here is a rest that we obtain, it's something that is obtained from the Lord. There's nothing you can do for this. I mean, this is what He promised you. He, He gives you this call and He says, Come to me and I will give you rest. Well, so this rest that we're looking at, it is a rest from the burden of guilt, sin, and from eternal damnation. I mean, Every one of us, if you're a born-again believer today, every one of us has felt that type of rest, that type of relief. Oh, Pastor, don't you wish you could go back there? When you first became a Christian, it was all new. It was a childlike faith, wasn't it? We're not supposed to act like children, but we're supposed to always. You know, we're never supposed to move away from a childlike faith. How many times have I wished I could go back to when it was all fresh and new? Vance Havner has a sermon. I think it's the first sermon I ever listened to by him. It caught my eye for some reason. But in this sermon, he's talking about the wonder. He's talking about an old evangelist from England named Gypsy Smith, Rodney Gypsy Smith. I guess he wasn't a a brainiac, so I, I I can relate to this guy. But at the age, I think he said 87 years old, he was still out evangelizing, still out preaching, and somebody had an interview with him. 
and said, Gypsy, how is it after all of these years, your ministry is still so fresh and so vibrant? And he says, I've never, I've never lost the wonder. Oh, there's been times, church, I've lost the wonder. I've been working so hard in ministry that I couldn't see Jesus. Trying to do things right and missing the wonder of knowing Jesus. Well, look at verse 29. Now he says this. He says, take take my yoke upon you. Here we have the charge. We had the call. Now we have the charge. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me. A yoke. A yoke was a, a wooden a piece of wood that a, you would put around it, an ox's neck and, and you would hook it up to it and it would it would pull. Do, do you know how they used to train the uh, the young oxen, the ones that had never done it? They would put a yoke on them, but they didn't put no burden on there. They just put him side by side with this mature bull and they would go to pull and at least he thought he was. That's the way we are a lot of times, isn't it? especially when we were very, really young. Well, we thought we was doing a lot. It's kind of like, you know, getting out there on the tractor with your dad or something. We, we drove the tractor. Well, for a while we believed that. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This yoke, what that represents is this. It's submission. You, you've got to put your neck in that yoke. Sometimes in Reformed circles, we get so much on the sovereignty of God that we completely disregard the responsibility that we have. I actually believe that in sanctification, there, there's, a, there's two parts to this. There's one that God, by himself, monergistically, has set you aside for his glory and his purpose. But then there's this part that's practical. And, yeah, and he, he, says, he says that we're going to do the work. I mean, how many times have we quoted, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Man, we used to preach that in these legalistic churches. Say, you've got to do it. And then you look right there and you say, but it's God who's working in you both to will and to do. So even in this synergistic work, we still have to apply. Jesus is saying, come to me. Now he's saying, take my yoke upon you. So this yoke is submission. This yoke has got purpose to it. It's got instruction, and it's got direction. See, Pastor, you must, you must submit to His Lordship. You must fulfill His purpose, the Great Commission. You must embrace the instruction, the Word. My goodness, what has happened to the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, after all of these years, we're going to have to hire a committee and take a full year to figure out what a pastor is? Let me tell you why. Now, you may not like this, and I'm not trying to pick a fight here. Just save it for Q&A time, okay? Do you know there's no such thing as youth pastor? No, I, I take it back. There is. If you have children, that's you. You're the youth pastor. See, we've made so many things pastors that we look at this first and we go, well, how do we make this work? Well, you don't make it work like that. You look at what the Word of God says, and you embrace that. And then the last one is, we, we, we follow His direction. How do we do that? It comes through prayer. It comes through 
the Holy Spirit leading. Oh, yeah, I do believe in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Our conference we're doing here in a couple weeks is called, okay, I know I put it out there if you saw it. It said Spirit Lending. I could probably make millions off that in charismatic circles. That was a typo. We've corrected it. It's called Spirit Leading. I'm not going to let some charismatic chaos take what God has given me. Okay? So, and I will tell you this. I get loud and stuff. I tell myself every time, just remain calm. John MacArthur does it. <laughs> it just hasn't worked yet. So, so here's the thing. I, want, I just want to show you something as an example. On the way to... Where was Paul headed? Damascus, right? He has, he has a divine appointment, doesn't he, with the Lord Jesus. He submits. He puts his neck in the yoke. He, and God tells him, he says, Jesus says, I've got a purpose for you. You're going to take my name before kings, for rulers. You're going to take my name to the Gentiles. Here's the purpose. Here's the call. Here's the great commission. Not only that, but we see, we see Paul embrace his instruction. He embraces the word. When Peter was out of line and showed up at Antioch, Paul says, you're to be blamed, brother. Barnabas, I can't believe you either. Holding to the word of God, not having so much respect for a person. This is Peter, right? The guy that walked on water, the guy that preached the first sermon, but Paul says, uh-uh. But not only that, but we see this, to follow his direction. You know, the Great Commission, going to all the world, right? So when Paul and, 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 uh, and uh, who was the other guy? Silas, and all the boys were together. I mean, they're praying. They're like, hey, let's go over here to Asia and preach. I mean, the Great Commission says that, right? But the Spirit said, no. Well, let's go into Bithynia. Let's go there. I mean, God said, go everywhere. No, you can't go there either. And then he sees a vision in the night. Come help us. I was, I was, I was, me and my wife prayed for a couple, two, two and a half years about going to Ireland. To, to plant churches and, you know, all that good stuff. And, and I remember talking to a mission agency, and I was really struggling with this. I thought, I don't see that in Scripture either, but I'm talking to this guy, and he says, well, here's what we can help you do. We can help you understand where you need to go, where you're, what you're fit for. I said, okay, I'm out of this one. I, we're done here. I'm not calling you back. I didn't say that, I just, but I didn't call back. You see, if we were going to fit people the way we would think, we would have not sent Paul to the Gentiles. He would have went right to the, the rabbis and the synagogue, all those. He did go to the synagogue. So, so here's, here's the thing. This yoke is this. But look, he says, learn from me. The word learn here is, is metheno, where we get the word methetes, which is disciple. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to learn about him. Man, I, I tell my wife all the time, I can, I can fix her plate, I can pour her drink better than she can. She, she might admit this. You know why? Because I have studied her for going on 37 years of marriage. Now, she's going to tell you there's some things I didn't study very well, right? Nothing worse than when they tell you something really important and you're looking at her like, what? You know that's going to be a bad couple weeks, right? So I've still got room to grow. But here's the thing. Learn from me. It's, it's, it's being a disciple. I mean, church, listen. We are so filled up 
with, with trying to, to, to accomplish God's work and, 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 and God's will in so many different ways. And all the time he's saying, learn from me. Learn from me. But we'll run here and we'll run there. I mean, we'll buy books. We'll do all these things. And I'm not saying those things in and of themselves are bad. But he's saying, learn from me. We need to be a little bit more like Martha and Mary. Or Mary. I mean, Jesus comes to Martha's house. She invites him in. She's working hard. She's serving. Much like we do as pastors. But where's Mary? She's down at his feet. She's hanging on every word the master is saying. Sometimes we're like Martha. We're like, am I the only one doing anything? Lord, don't you care that nobody's helping me? It's not wrong to serve. But first, you better be learning Jesus. You better be hanging on his word. That's where you need to be first. Do you remember the two men on the way to Emmaus? I mean, they're, I somehow to get that, that, that town wrong. Yeah, seven, yeah, going to Emmaus. They're in Luke. And what happens? I mean, they're, they're, they're the saddest two guys that, you know, on, on the road that day. Everybody knew what's happened. But Jesus comes, he, he, he doesn't reveal who he is, but he says, well, what are you guys talking about? Are you just a stranger? We thought this was the Messiah. We thought, well, I mean, just a week ago, we were shouting, Hosanna, he's come to redeem us. He's come to set it up, destroy our, our enemies. Let me tell you something. If you're not learning of Jesus, but you're reading the Bible and you're getting your information from other people, do you know that when you have a wrong understanding of Scripture, it's going to lead to a wrong expectation? And when that expectation is not met, do you know it's going to bring frustration and stress in your life? It's going to cause you to go away. And you know when that happens, you know what happens next? You lose all hope. And as pastors, what happens is we quit. When you lose hope, you will quit. So what did Jesus do? Listen, I'll just have to read it. I don't want to butcher it, so I'll read it. After they did all this talking, he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a seven-mile Bible study. Can you imagine the conversation, though? This has got to be him. It had to be him. Look at all the things. Yeah, but man, he was nailed to a tree. He had to be cursed of God. Can you see Jesus telling him, don't you remember Abraham when he saw my day? Remember, I was going to offer up, he was going to offer up Isaac, but God, God said he'll provide himself a lamb for the offering. God said, Abraham, stop, and what did he see? They saw a ram caught in a thicket. Here's this ram, and his horns are caught, his, 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 his authority brought under the curse. Abraham saw that day along. Can you imagine all the things that were opened up? And I honestly don't know if that was even one of them. But in my mind, I can see it being one of them. You see, we want to we learn from him. We have to learn from him. Now, here's the problem. Everybody that, you know, sometimes you can talk to somebody and like, man, my church does this and this and this, and we call it this, you know. But then, and, that, and somebody says, man, we do the same thing. But when you go, it's got a little twist on it, a little different. Do you, do you know that when we learn of Jesus, what we're going to find over and over and over 
really is just Acts 2.42. Man, I, I see so many things on methodology. Hey, you three, go out and find three, and they'll find three, and before long, we'll have a church of 5,000, right? Think of all the slogans that denominations come up with, you know. A million more in 84. Save a million alive in 85. I mean, I don't know what you do with six. 87, you can go to heaven. I don't know. But we have all these things, and where have they gone? I guess you can wait till the next de decade and regurgitate them. But let me tell you what methodology never goes away. The Word of God. <laughs> Praying. Seeking God. We was in a little home church one time, and I was back when I was, I was bivocational, and I was building vinyl fence, and I had about an hour drive to the house. It was about temperature like it will be today. And I got home, and it was the absolute first time I'd ever shown up at church with nothing. Nothing. I about broke down. They're looking at me to teach. And I said, I ain't got nothing. Can we just pray? Can we just go back to the basics? Can we just pray? And God started changing things in my life, how I look at things. I want to move to the next part. I want to look at Christ's character. If we're going to learn from him, we better learn his character. He talks about, he says, I am gentle and, and, and lowly in heart. Now, listen, gentle. I, I think the, the, the KJB, I listened to a sermon by Mike Durham on this, and I, and I agree with him. I think, I think meek in, in, the, in the authorized, the King James authorized, I'm using... The Ron authorized, which is the new King James. I need to change that to the RAV, Ron's authorized version. But uh, but this gentle, this meek, I've never heard this, but, but Mike said everybody's heard it. Have y'all ever heard meek described as velvet-covered steel? I've never heard that. Now, he must run in some circles, but I thought that's pretty good. I have always heard basically strength under control, under God's control. But But Mike put it like this. He said... Meekness is the ability to be virtuous without the necessity of having to prove it. You see, when somebody's really meek, a meek person can take the applause of men and know that it means nothing before God. He's the man that can take insult after insult and not take it personally and still love and pray for those people. You see, he's strong in Christ, but that strength is under control. See, see this, this meekness, this gentleness, and this humility, they're real close, they, they're, they kind of, but they go hand in hand. But, but out of this meekness comes this humility. You see, this humility, this lowly in heart, it is to be God-reliant rather than self-reliant. Think about this. What would you do if you knew that in just a few short days, a few short hours, a few hours, you're going to be put to death. What would you want to do? What did Jesus do? He took off his, his robe. And he went and got a, a basin. And he took some water. And he poured it in there. As they had met, they, they, they didn't really get nobody to come and wash feet for everybody. And I mean, you know how it is. We're all past that point as pastors, right? I mean, that's really somebody else's job. And don't think for a second that you'd have been any different than Peter when he got to you. 
you know this is backwards. Right before he dies, he's meek, he's humble, and he's washing feet. He's even washing a man's feet that's going to betray him. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. That's Christ's character. I don't think there's probably a better example, at least in, from, from my study, and I know some of you guys are way smarter than me, but listen to this. In Philippians 2, listen to how he says it. He says, in verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. I think a lot of guys today have, uh, have missed that part about uh, the last part of that verse. Oh my goodness, we got so many people today, they can't do anything without taking a selfie, can they? I mean, why do we do that stuff? I mean, we've got to have the praise poured on. I love the guys who, who I guess they hire somebody to follow them around. and says, get some dramatic action glamour shots of me in my, in my skinny jeans. And to make skinny jeans worse, let's flip them up on the bottom. Okay, I won't go too far on that. But, but do I have these dramatic-looking, intent poses? And then we'll have somebody brag about it. This is the most godly man I know. I don't know if they have a fake account or saying about that. I don't know. But I can tell you this. This is not what this is describing. Can, can, you, be, can you do things without, without the praise and the applause of anybody? Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. We all struggle with it. I mean, you know, we're over at Bowlegs, right? <laughs> I wasn't the pastor. I was just preaching for him. COVID hit. We had a meeting. They said, we want you to come, Ron. We're having a meeting this Friday night about whether we're going to have church or not. Everybody's shutting down. I'm, and if you shut down, I, this is not about that. I'm just going to tell you what happened at Bowlegs. These are good old country boys that said, I believe that if church is on Sunday morning, we need to be there. I was like, all right. They said, what do you think? I said, hey, this is y'all's deal. They said, what do you think? I said, listen, I believe that God's people should meet on the Lord's day. I said, Wednesdays, whatever. I said, I'll, I'll try to comply the best I can, but not, not on that day. And I said, if you guys have church, I'll preach it. I had good friends that really were opposed to me. And I'll be honest, it's tough when you're seeing all the big names shutting down. Oh, and by the way, even Johnny Mac at that point. And then when Johnny Mac does it, everybody's like, hey, we're all on board. I thought, I was doing that months ago. And you see, the truth of the matter is the, the, how fragile we are is, is I want that recognition. Isn't that pathetic? You see, God, God knows. He said, I, I know you's already there. Oh, man, we, we need help, brother. We need help. Now, listen. Listen to what he goes on and says. He says, let this mind be in you. This is still in, in Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, 
that we would esteem others better than ourselves. But he says, let this mind be in you, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but listen, but made himself of no reputation. Do you want to talk about meek? Do you want to talk about, listen, every time he did something, what would he tell them? See to it, you tell nobody about this. But they did. See to it, don't, don't tell anybody. He went and did these things. Satan tempts him. If you're really the son of God, prove it. I don't really have to. I know who I am. I know who I'm serving. You see, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. Here's the humility. He humbled himself lowly in heart and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now listen, he says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. We're going back now to take my yoke upon you. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the... Listen, here's what I want to tell you, Pastor. Church member, brother and sisters, listen. Whether God wants to elevate you and give you a platform where everybody knows your name or not, that's God's sovereign purpose and will. It should not change anything about you. It should not change the way you do things. You're, listen, you're, you're really serving for an audience of one. I mean, that, that's, and we know that. I know these are little things that we've all heard before, but that's really the truth. Who are we trying to please? If you find yourself getting caught up in trying to please people, it will never work. You'll please this half but not that half. Then you switch teams, you go over here, and now they're mad at you. Now, we look at this rest and sanctification. Now, this rest, this rest is, is not obtained from the Lord. This is the rest that is attained in the Lord. It's a difference. Now, it's not a physical rest. See, here's another one, Pastor. You do need to rest physically. Charles Spurgeon would go take a month at a time. He'd go over to France or Spain or somewhere, hang out by the ocean. He had to, he had to, to regroup. How many of you ever felt like you, you, couldn't, you couldn't stop? Because people were telling you this is your job. How many, of you, how many of you seen the church before you got there doing a lot of work and then once you got, hey, this is what we're paying you for. And people are not, not, not bashful about telling you what you have to do. And you're neglecting your family, you're neglecting other things, but you're, you know, and you can just work yourself. You, you need to rest. But I want to show you the difference between physical rest and the rest that we're talking about right here. If you look over in Mark chapter 6, look at this. Because I want, I want you to understand something. You can have a physical rest, but if you're not resting in Christ, you're still not rested. Now listen to this. In, in Mark chapter 30, it says, The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Now he's talking about physical rest. They had been out ministering. They were tired. I will tell you this, and you know it's to be true. When you preach... Sunday mornings are rough. I mean, Sunday afternoons are rough, aren't they? It rolls all the way into Monday for me. Not only is it rough, like it, it physically exhausts me, but it's a mental beatdown. The more I 
I, once I leave the pulpit, I'm kind of okay, but then as I start thinking, I go, ah, oh, you said that, or, uh, you know, and you're so beat up by money, you just can't wait for Tuesday to show up. So there is a, there is a physical rest, and Jesus is saying, come over here. But what happened? The multitudes came. They're, they're burdened. They're hungry. Look what happened. Verse 34, Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. There's times when you need physical rest, but when you're yoked to Christ and you've learned of him, you've entered into his rest. And guess what you find out? It's easy. It's light. How do I know? He says, you give them something. Well, Lord, all we got is a little bit of money. Smartest guy in the crowd was a little boy that day that brought his sack lunch. Can I have that? I'd like to feed all these people. What did the disciples do? Here, Peter, you take this, start handing it out. Here you go, John. Here you go, James. Now go gather them up. Remember how tired we was? Remember how hungry we were? There's 12 baskets full for each one of us. You've entered into his rest. There's a difference. So this rest is not physical, but this rest is found only in faith, it is lost in unbelief. You want to know when people, when the people of God didn't have rest? They didn't have rest when they fell in unbelief. Think about this. In the beginning, when God rested on the seventh day, right? Six days of creation. He, he rested. And what did he do? He took Adam and he placed him what? In his rest. You got to understand one thing about rest. Rest doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're kicked back in the lazy chair, the lazy boy. It's not that. Rest is entering into his work. He was still sustaining the world. Everything was still being operated by God's sovereign power. But Adam had entered into that. But when did Adam lose that rest? When he failed to believe God. God said, don't eat of that tree. And Adam disobeyed. Think about the children of Israel. We see the first rest, don't we? We see when they came out of Egypt, they were delivered out of that bondage, of that burden of, of slavery and all those. They were free. They rested from that. But when it came time to enter into the rest, the book of Joshua, in my opinion, is all about sanctification. They didn't believe God, did they? They proved all the way through the wilderness they just did not believe God. And they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. And what does he tell us in, in chapter 4 in Hebrews? He says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you should have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Brethren, listen to me a second. Sometimes the problem is we're, we're afraid of what we don't know is out there. It's easier to attach yourself to a group or to a man or something like that or a, a denomination. 
Do you remember when they got over there and Joshua, he says, get everybody ready. You're about to cross over Jordan. And there's a little thing in chapter 4, it says, for, they have, for you have not yet passed this, or you have not passed this way before. Do you know who we think of as the great men of God? It's those who went where others had not went before. And they didn't go in their own strength. They didn't go in their own power. They went when everybody said, don't go. But what were they doing? They were yoked to Christ. They were learning of him. You can learn him in the word. You can learn him in an intellectual way. But you have to put that to work. It has to become experiential. And I'm not talking in a weird, mystical way. But until you start moving forward, you will never experience that type of rest. Can you imagine what it was like coming up against an, an un, unbeatable city? A double-walled Jericho. What a battle plan. I know Harold loves old war stuff. That's a great battle plan, isn't it? What are we going to do, Joshua? Well, we'll have the ark go out, and we'll all follow, and we'll go around it today. Okay? We'll do that six days. On the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. You, you can just almost hear, like, I think he's running out of ideas. Hey, we're going to blow on some trumpets. You see, they entered into his, was that, was, that, was that battle hard for them? No, no. It was not hard at all. So we see that, we see these things. Now, Back to, back to Matthew. Now we come to this part right here. The challenge. Why is it a challenge? He, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that don't sound like a challenge. Well, the challenge is this. Pastor, are, are you ready turn loose of, of the things that you're yoked to. What are you yoked to today? Did you come here just, man, for the fellowship, to get to visit? I mean, I came last year, and I mean, I, you know, I mean, I wanted to visit with other pastors, people who've gone through what I'm going through. I want to pick their brain. I know I talk too much. I apologize. What are you burdened by today? What are you yoked to? What are you burdened by? I was, I was, I was so appreciative of Wade's testimony last night of, of yoking himself to something. A noble cause, but not one that he needs to be yoked to. I'm not saying that he said it. I don't even know what it was. How many times have you sat in a search committee meeting and somebody said, we need to know how you're going to build this church? Guess what? It ain't your job. Jesus said, I'll build my church. Psalm 127, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. You can come up with all kinds of gimmicks, all kinds of ideas. You're not, you're not the builder. You're the shepherd. Your job is to teach. Your job is to preach the word. Your job is to protect, to care for, provide for. You're the servant leader, but you're not the builder. Now, I didn't even get that question asked because I'd already preached it over at Boleg. 
See, we, we hear that all the time. This is, this is what you're supposed to do. Build up the youth group. Build up the church. Can't do it. Only Jesus can. So what are things, some things that we as pastors get yoked to? Education. We're so educated, we don't need prayer. We don't need the leader of the spirit. We're intellectual. I mean, we are in reform circles today, right? Maybe you're not, but you should be. But, um, and I'll touch on that in a minute, so don't, don't celebrate too soon. What about denominations? See, I wasn't raised up in church. I was a little heathen. So when I finally got into a church, I got into a cult. Not a great start, but you got nowhere to go but up. Went up the other day, I was invited by our, our director of missions to go to, uh, let's see, how do you say it? The Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. It's the SBC of Oklahoma. I'd never heard so much boasting and bragging about we're the biggest, we've got the most money, we've got the most this and that. Tell me about Falls Creek. I know what goes on in Falls Creek. Tell me about the, the, the girls' homes. I know people that were parents in these. I, I know the politics that go on. I wanted to get out of there and take a shower. Now, now I got something to say. Listen, what about ministries? Oh, there's things out there today like T4G, the Gospel Coalition, G3, other things like that. See, we want to attach ourselves to those things to get notoriety. We want somebody to notice us. I was at the G3 conference because the next one I'm going to talk about is what about men? I mean, we, we yoke ourselves to a man with the G3 conference. I watched a, a line of 50 or 60 guys lined up because Vody Bauckham came out of the, the shadows. He's at his booth. I told this one brother, I said, hey, give me that Bible, man. Give me your Bible. He, he started to hand it to me. I said, I'll sign it. And, boy, he pulled it back. I said, no, I'll sign his name. Men, didn't we deal with this in Corinthians? Some of us are saying we're of Paul. We're of Paulus. We're of Cephas. Sorry. They're just men. And I'm going to tell you something. Vody's not near as big as you think he is. I thought he was a giant. He's not that big. Bigger than me, but what about movements? We get all caught up and yoke ourselves to these movements. Back in the day, you had Promise Keeper. And nobody wants to admit this, but now that we know that 1.1 million pastors have been trained, I mean, you guys had that banner that said 40 days of purpose. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> purpose driven, 40 days of purpose. I remember being preaching in DeWitt, Arkansas. I seen this little old podunk church, and this banner was all wrinkly. And I was like, what does that mean? Didn't even know. What about the homeschool movement? So we got all these specialty things. The abolition groups. Theonomy groups. And they all put it across kind of like, if you're not part of this, well, you're just not serving the Lord. This is a gospel issue. No, the gospel issue is the gospel. Oh, uh, what about this one? What about Reformed doctrine and theology? Wait a second now, Ron. You're touching, you're touching, so you're touching the golden calf now. Do you know you can be in love with the, with the doctrine and not even know 
the giver of the doctrine. And I'm not talking about John Calvin. See, these things, all of these things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. But I can tell you this. You will not find rest for your souls in them. It's time, pastors, that we go back to this right here. And this is the last thing I'm going to read. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Father, we just want to bow before you today and thank you, God, for your goodness. I pray, Lord, that you were honored. I pray for every person here, not just pastors, every person. Help us to release the yokes that bring us bondage, that take all that, that peace, that rest, that joy away from us. Let us be like Gypsy Smith and let us look to Christ and be reacquainted with the wonder of knowing Jesus. In his name, amen.